keep going. Welcome back to the Keep Going podcast. It's been a while, but we're making it up to you with two episodes being released on back-to-back days. Unfortunately, we hit a little bump in the road. A few weeks ago, John determined he could no longer continue to be a part of the podcast. So Michael and I needed to regroup and decide the best way to approach this monumental loss. We considered not going forward with the podcast, as we both can recognize John as a critical part of what makes it work. But we continued to record each week in hopes that if we allowed him a little bit of time, he might only need a short reset, and maybe he'd be okay to get back in the saddle after a few weeks. But it doesn't seem like he's coming back, at least not in the next month or two. So Michael and I decided to keep going. We hope we've made the right decision. To make up for lost time and to honor John, we're releasing two conversations in two days. This episode is the first discussion Michael and I had post-John. It was recorded in early July. The second one is an older conversation from January, where we covered some of the same ground, but in a very different way. I think they work well together, and I consider them a diptych, or a two-part artwork designed and connected in theme and style, yet retaining their own individual frame. We hope this honors John, while still allowing Michael and I a little room to roam. Hopefully you'll continue to find this podcast valuable and insightful. And just to be clear, John's okay. He just needs a break, and we're hopeful he'll feel ready to jump back in at some point. His presence here is already sorely missed. So without further ado, I bring you the episode that we call A Suffering Diptych, Part 1, Meeting the Devil at the Crossroads. Godspeed, Joe. Godspeed. Um... Rolling. Yeah, we were just talking about our fascination with the Hulu show, The Bear. It goes too quick. Yeah. I can't wait for... Yeah, you're through now. We're milking our episodes. Uh-huh. I'm milking it. Mm-hmm. Kristen yeah. told me this. It really told me something a couple um, years ago. She handed me a book um, by Octavia Butler. I don't know if you ever read any Octavia mm-hmm. Butler. She's a um, science fiction writer. And she re- she's just an incredible writer and... Kristen really appreciated her handing me the book and said, read this. And I read it. And I was like, oh, so great. It's amazing. It took me a while to get into it, but I got into it. And one of the things she said to me, she said, if I could do this is what I would do. I wish I could, every time I read an Octavia Butler book, that I could read it all the way through. And as soon as I finished, I'd have a day or two. And then it would be erased from my mind. So I could go back mm. and do it again and read it again as if I hadn't read it before. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's so many things that would be cool to do that way. <laughs> You know, I agree completely. It's like, it's, you know, if that's I could the go highest. back and rewatch or reread or relive, it would be so good. Every time we end something like when we finish the bear, I like come down on like an emotional high. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, now what? That was filling such a good little void. But then you got to make sure that it's like, I got to make sure that I'm not practicing escapism. Yeah. You know, so it is good in doses. And I think that that transaction is is healthy to be like a longing for, you know, yes, I that agree. inspiration. Cause it doesn't, inspiration doesn't come freely, you know, and it's so, but I get it through media, mixed media and I get it through creativity and shit. I got it through. Have you seen air? Mm-mm. No, oh. I haven't seen that yet. Oh man. The previews just made me not want to watch it, but oh, you're saying Steve, I should, you should watch it. And, and I mean, it took me forever to read shoe dog and I did not read shoe dog. Cause I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, I read. And it's the- not the story of it to me. It, 
it's not the story of Nike. It's the story of fucking Ben Affleck, man. Yeah. That guy and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, like to me it was they have something special. It was a process that was super special. Yeah, it started with that first what was the first movie? Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Wrote yeah. it in like fucking high school or something mm-hmm. like that. And because they couldn't get hired, apparently. And so he was just like, you know what, let's just do our own. <laughs> so I'll write it and produce it and crazy but to me there was when you when i watched air i got emotional not even from this story itself the story's obviously great i mean it is what it is but the there's something behind the scenes going on that i could feel and it's like this is purpose like real purpose that they've got truth yeah mm-hmm. yeah the good the true the beautiful is running through it soundtrack was rock and roll mm-hmm. you know and it was deep cut soundtrack so it was like oh shoot man Did you notice that with the bear too they shifted yeah. like the first season had, was uh, all like 90s music yeah. but now it's got like Brian had Brian Eno and John Cale it has like all these other like like songs I transcendental don't know. blues yes uh, but, oh yeah from uh, uh Steve Earle Steve Earle and yeah. I was like oh my god that's a great that's al- like, album oh, yeah that album is a great so album. good in those little things like the personality that you can add to it are very special like you have to add personality into your product so i guess the producer and the writer of it like i don't really know too much about him or her but i i don't know i, I don't know. think i saw something because i i just watched a little bit of i couldn't watch it because Kristen was like you need to wait for me so i watched like a trailer or something yeah and i think that tiffany the sister i think she may be a working chef or may have restaurants or something like that. I'm not oh, wow. sure. So I thought, saw her doing some kind of conversation thing. We, maybe we can, I'm sure one of our listeners, I'm sure all of our listeners know, but um, I think that they're, they're, it's obvious that they have deep roots in the service industry. Mm. Like, yeah. you oh, know, they have they, they, to because, because it's, it's it, got legit emotion it has of chops. service. Yep. And it's got, <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's got chops. Like it's real deal. Like what you see on the shelf is like, you're seeing some nice knives nice you know the mayo is like proper mayo. it's so funny to me like the details of the kitchen and the setup and like the culture of it all are just like so cool when tina pulls out the 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 pot the, the pot or whatever it is mm-hmm, the, the, the pan mm-hmm. and she's like science yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's like, man they didn't have to put that in there <laughs> but it would track from the first the first season all the way through anyway yeah we're we're sitting here deeply appreciating artistry and uh that's right this this episode we're going to talk about today we michael and i um we're missing john today uh he's taking a little hiatus um he'll be back we hope and uh but we're gonna we 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 banged around about a couple of different things and i i came up with this one which was what i'm calling loosely the ubiquity of suffering and, and my premise as i pitched it to michael was hey I get this feeling with not necessarily my athletes because I think my athletes are are pretty hip to this idea. But in general, when I think about what separates the um, the amateur runner from the professional runner is, and I think that this is an area where many amateur runners want to know what the professionals are doing that's different. And this is something I can speak to. I know that the the those practicing. Um, at the highest level of art form, have this understanding of the ubiquity of suffering. Mm. And I think the amateur is missing it. 
And I think some of this has to do with concepts of flow, and the idea that we're supposed to be in flow. And that's now, you know, one of our the pieces of the current 20, 2020 zeitgeist, right? Everybody's supposed to be in flow, but nobody knows what the fuck to do with it or how to do it. And then it's all like ego flow, really. But anyway, my, my theory is that, or my, my noticing, people do not recognize suffering as the teacher, and suffering as the the process by which you achieve the goals that you would like to achieve, and that there is no way to your goal except through suffering, and that's why I call it the ubiquity. Um, and Michael, you said that you had been thinking about this for the last couple of days. So why don't you, before I start going and twisting and turning like a leaf, mm-hmm. why don't you give a little extra personal oomph to that and where you sit with where you're thinking through it when I brought it up to you and how you how you might want to push your angle and then we'll just kind of dance mm-hmm. around this topic. I, I think that the when you brought up the topic, the actually didn't think about it through much of a physical standpoint. Actually, I first went to mental suffering, um, which I always go to, uh, compare and contrast. Um, they did a better race. They did something that I want to do, and I am now suffering because I want it so bad, and I don't think that I can get it. Um, things like that. Uh, so there's a mental, there's a mental and a physical um, kind of component that that it's like, oh, this is this is pretty interesting. So, and I think in the past week, I I've been on such a high in this training period that I'm in because I, I claim that it's all play, but I've really kind of become serious about the play and I've become serious, like very, very rigid about trying to make it as fun and productive, uh, fun and productive, productive as possible. And that's led to trace amounts of, you know, anxiety and fear that I'm going to lose it and fear of working too hard and I can't, I can't, you know, I can't push myself too hard because I can't build up too much fatigue. But if I don't build up fatigue, then I'm not going to get any better. And it's, it's a vicious cycle. So then that translates into actual manifestation of mental, you know, some type of anxiety or suffering or displacement. But, but it also is directly tied to the fact that like yesterday I went out, ran 10 miles, did 3k in the pool and then went for an evening gym session into your workout this morning, which is four by 100, you know, speed economy workout. And I was like feeling pretty, pretty knocked out. And what was interesting to me is this transaction. Um, sometimes in lately acutely in the past week or so that, that joyous kind of, uh, euphoric feeling of progress becomes viscerally uh, apparent that there is a suffering component to it. And it's like, if we try to avoid it, then it seems to be very counterproductive. But if we try and go at it, then we're just going to jump straight off the ledge and into, you know, you might as well just pack it up and go home because you're done. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? And then there's a fine balance, which is right in the middle, which is suffering just is like we were saying. And it's a part of the progress. So having both a mental disposition on what it is for me 
the actual physical manifestation of it and the mental were extremely, extremely interesting. So I've been thinking about a lot uh, all in a nutshell, bottom line is like, you know, there are periods of time where I forget that it's, there's appropriate suffering and there's probably inappropriate suffering. And to have an acute awareness of that is extremely important. Some type of insight, um, just a, a foundation, a baseline, kind of an awareness of it. Um, and if we lose that, it can become problematic. Either we're not working towards our goal or we're working, we're forcefully trying to will the goal into existence and therefore pushing it farther away. It's like craving, uh, uh, you know, attachment or desire or craving or aversion. It's like almost like if you have too much attachment to the goal, then it's problematic if you have too much, you know, or if you're trying to avert the goal by means of like, it should be all like peaches and cherries and be easy, then you're not working towards it as well. So there's that fine balance. So I find suffering somewhere to be in the middle, but it needs to be given a proper, you know, it needs to be given a proper stage and attention and awareness. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And one way I like to think about this is threading, you know, it's like polarity of kind of thinking where are you full of shit about what it is you want and what you want to achieve. Um, and that's, you know, when somebody sets a goal that's really audacious and challenging, um, there's an aspect of that where you understand and, and appreciate in a, in a loose way that you're full of shit because you can't do it right now. So it only, only really good goals are the ones that have a little bit of you being a bit of full of shit because otherwise you would just know you could do it. Right. Um, and so, and anybody who doesn't have that, then they're kind of in a place of they, I don't know what they're doing because there's supposed to be a failure element to the goal for it to be really authentic in my opinion. So that's one polarity is being full of shit. Right. But then the other side of that is being, um, completely comfortable like so comfortable that the the value of the work that you're doing becomes negligent and not um, valuable I mean I have athletes all the time who um, once I bring up a beautiful race concept they glom onto it they like the idea of this no that goals are arbitrary and so therefore I don't need a goal and then they just go out and they run and then they wonder why it doesn't provide the mm -hmm. kind of juice that they're looking for and it's because well you failure is not baked in there and in, in distance running at least in endurance running failure is pain and suffering at mm -hmm. some level so there's i think you're running this gaunt of this you're on this polarity between being full of shit and how much can i can i get that goal and then being not caring at all and not having anything in it and this is where the idea of flow why i sometimes plug flow in here because the idea of the flow state that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi came up with back in you know the late 60s, early 70s, is that there's a special little zone that athletes or people performing need to be in where their level of challenge is high enough. That's the full of shit side. You, you, you can't just do it. If you could just do it, then what, what value is it, right? But then it also needs to be within your possibility of doing so that it needs to kind of be on that side of, well, I can do it or else it's too big. People, people run into really big problems when they set goals that they can't achieve and then their body shuts them down or their mind shuts them down or people set goals too low and then there's not enough challenge there to get them going. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people don't really understand that. They think flow is just some kind of like magical even divine state that yeah. sort of that occasionally comes in it and, should feel good flow does not 
mean it should feel great. In my opinion, flow typically you get to flow through breaking through suffering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> through so, breaking through the pain. Yeah. You know what's interesting too is, and I go through this as well, and it took me probably dozens of pro athletes saying we don't suffer less than you do the people who are suffering the most in these races are the people running four hours four hour five hour marathons like you want that they're like we don't we don't go through that but we go through a different style like i mean they're they're like it's equal The, the 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 level of of pain is equal but the 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 problem is that it's easy to look at these people these pros and people who have a great mental and physical disposition to and we think that they're not going through it as well and so we compare to that and that can become very problematic we we want to look and train like the pros but they're not always wearing it on their sleeve no, in fact, <laughs> they're always in a place where those stakes are so high. The stakes are high. So um, they, and there's a camera on them typically or yeah. some kind of. And they're performing. They're right. professionals. Correct. That's what they're doing. And so they're, they're in that state where they have to try to thread that needle where, you know, you and I, when we're out on a road and plugging away and going through suffering, there's not a single person on the face I don't of the have that a name, image, and likeness deal. No, <laughs> so I can yell, I can, I can go get a stick and. You know, beat up a tree in the middle of a run and nobody's going to say I'm losing my shit. No, nope. no, they're not. No, they're yeah. not. They're not going to know. They're yeah. not going to know. And but yet I do think that, you know, that's one of the things that makes this thing so special yeah. is that you get to do it on your own. And one of the things I think about when I think about suffering, I think the way we handle suffering is as unique as our fingerprint. Mm hmm. You know, we, we, when you think about these elites, each one of them is going through a very unique and different kind of experience based on the context context of where they're at in their career, based on that training cycle, based on what happened in the 24 hours to 36 hour window before they got on the starting line. Mm-hmm. All of these things are the things we love when we watch documentaries about sports heroes or we think about or we read the stories in the magazines afterwards about how they performed and what we want to know what they overcame we want to know what they did what they how they did that but you too each of us has our own unique signature of how we manage and handle pain and suffering and what our relationship to that is and that is beautiful but i do think um if this is a pursuit so if you're trying to chase something down. Not everybody is in pursuit. That's totally fine. But if you're in pursuit of a particular goal, then um, suffering is going to be a piece that you need to deal with and not as a piece that you need to deal with by placing off to the side and hoping you don't meet in the middle of the road. Um, Instead, it needs to be something that you meet dead in the middle of the road and the more you meet it um, in a healthy, balanced way, better you're going to be at dealing with it when it happens on race day. And maybe you'll begin to operate at what I call the next level, which is the level that according to Walter does, as she described in that now iconic 
um, conversation with Rich Roll, mm-hmm. where he she talks about the pain cave. Mm-hmm. I think you've listened to that. Oh, have yeah. you? Uh, those of you who haven't, I'll just a lot of people talk it. about the pain cave, but that's probably the most articulate way of hearing somebody at that it. level talking about. I've never about heard that. it because she addressed the problem and, and it was the very pain psychological. Cave. Yeah, she said, I thought that what I was supposed to be doing, she knew she was going to meet pain. I mean, she was running 100 and 200 mile races. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're, the ubiquity of suffering in ultra racing is there, just like I think about it in a marathon. No one's going to get, that's why I say the marathon always wins. And an ultra always wins. Like, it's going to beat you. Even mm-hmm. at Kipchoge's level, he's getting beaten by the marathon. He's, he's it's not. It's fundamentally there, too. It, it's, that's what it's there for. It, that's why it's yeah. so special. It's right. like a hurdle. Like, yeah. You know, on the track, it's yeah. like, it's there. Because it's a hurdle. Like it's there's like there to beat you. Right, it's there like, for it, you to deal yeah, with. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all it is. With, right. It's like having a boxing match. You don't shadow box. Yeah, they yeah. box each other, right? Yeah. They hit each other in the face. But for her, she the way she articulated it, she was like, I just kept, I knew I was going to meet suffering, so I just kept trying to push it down the road. And then what she realized at some point, it's like, no. Bite it in. <laughs> it, it is it is what I'm supposed to be dealing yeah. with, and that's the purpose of doing this activity. Even though I make a living at it, making a living is not the point. The suffering is the point. I think that's mm-hmm. the shorthand version of how she yeah, stated yeah. it. And to me, that's the, the lesson I think that many people, they hear that and it motivates them. But when they meet that devil at the crossroads, they don't um, realize that they you to make a deal with the devil on the crossroads like Robert Johnson did, mm-hmm. you do have to sell your fucking soul. Sorry. Like, you have to go all the way the fuck in. Like, you, it's not, it, that's what Courtney's saying. Like, I'm so in that I'm saying, come suffering wherever you come. I'm not going to worry about you if you show up 90% of the way through or if you show up 10% of the way through. I'm going to meet you. Let's meet. And that means that I've already sold my soul to that fact. Like, I want to play this piece of music and I want to play it really well, which is the story of the crossroads, right? I want to play that well. And she's like, no, what that is, is your soul is you must go through that alchemical process of burning off your impurities, of learning how to be the best you can possibly be. And if you if you examine this as a fundamental piece and find your way with your unique fingerprint, your unique style, genius, diamond, if you want to use those kinds of words, way of being in the world in this sport, because sport is a super sweet little place to play with this. Mm-hmm. This is an ongoing theme of this podcast. It's like mm-hmm. sport is a, this sport is a particularly good way to, to, to test some of the things you might do in your relationships mm-hmm. or in your workspace or other things. Mm-hmm. And you can say, okay, what's my unique way of dealing with this and how do I want to do that? What's, what's the way I want to handle this? And then each time you're presented with that in training, you can get a little better at it. And if you get a little better at it, then when it shows up on race day, it's like, you know, hello darkness, my old friend, mm-hmm. you know, like the old Simon and Garfunkel song, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking too, and something that comes to mind is we were discussing on the track this morning that some folks out there um, believe that suffering is the way. It's it's the only it's it's the whole the whole point is to like the sport isn't purely suffering. No, it's not. It's the pursuit. It's going through. It's going it. through it. So. It's a there's a fine fine balance of of seeing it as the think of it as point A to point B 
let's just call where we're at point B or A and point B is where we want to be. You know, where we're at is A, where we want to be is point B. That's it. Suffering is not the way to get to point B. It's a, it's a component in it, but it's not like there's a, to me, the, the fine balance, the way that I thread that needle, because um, I know it's probably not landing right, so I'll clean it up. There's a relationship with it. I think the relationship with suffering is the most important part about suffering, not that there is the presence of it at all times. I don't think that we get to where we want to be by merely just suffering arbitrarily or, you know, wantonly. I think that, I think that it's, it's more of an understanding of, of the relationship with it. So when we see people like, um, when I see David Goggins and we were talking about him this morning, I see him as having a relationship with suffering that gets him to where he needs to be. But it doesn't mean that his brand of suffering needs to be everybody's brand to break through. Well, that's his unique fingerprint. That's his unique fingerprint. And he I has a saying, relationship with that. It seems to be based on some kind of significant trauma. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and you can imagine that there's something, that relationship is so profound mm. and so he understands it so well that it gets him everything he needs. And it clearly does. He's successful. He's motivating. He's transmuted. You know, it. he's... He, He's a fabulous individual, uh, you know, but I, I think at the same time, I think, I think that it, it might be a slippery slope for somebody like me to adopt that kind of suffering to say, this is how I'm going to be who I need to be. I don't, I, I think that would be very, very, uh, probably catastrophic to my life, my personal <laughs> life. If I started yelling, you know, like, <laughs> You know, on every run, and it's just not me. It's not authentic to carry me. My relationship. Yeah, I'm gonna carry the carry the boat. Whatever yeah. it is, he's like, I gotta. Yeah, <laughs> I think that there needs to be an authentic relationship with it that we that we learn. It's an understanding and to go through it. And here's the beauty of this sport: is that it's a safe place to do it mm-hmm. because you can tap out. Mm-hmm. You can then tap out, come back the next Tapping day. Tapping out doesn't mean that you've lost. It means that you need to understand. that you Okay, that, uh, it's overwhelming me in my current state. And mm-hmm. this is the place that I was talking about when I sent you the text about this topic, is that what I find frequently happens is that people don't use their training as opportunities to create right relationship with suffering. And so when they run into it on race day, they're surprised. They're surprised that the face that they're looking at is their own fucking face. And it's really existentially challenging. And it training and is the only place that you would get that simulation on that you get it physical when, and mental level. You get it when you're in deep relationship stuff, like mm-hmm. when you're married and you're arguing with your wife, which mm-hmm. happens and you are being presented with your own shadow in a yeah, way sure. and they recognize it because they see you more clearly than you see yourself and when it comes to you you get really defensive and yeah. your nervous system flares up and you suddenly create this space around it to try to create some safety there mm-hmm. and when you get there you're like oh this is the moment 
this is the moment that I work through my suffering. And I have a person here who understands me really clearly. And that love, that relationship allows you to work through that. If you do those steps and you take that, this is the same thing that you're doing, but it's just one. This is why it's so hard with running and with sport. It's like, you're just dealing with it yourself. And if you meet yourself down there and you haven't had some kind of relationship where you can actually deal with it, it's going to throw you into flight or fight or freeze, you're you're gonna get triggered, your nervous system's gonna start shutting you down and it's gonna be very difficult to deal with because it's very hard to see in ourselves um, this kind of thing. Do you remember, did you read the book Siddhartha? I mean, um, no, uh, Steppenwolf. Mm-mm. So Herman Hesse wrote a, you know, he wrote oh, Siddhartha, cool. yeah. but he also wrote um, um, Steppenwolf, which basically at one point in time that he goes into this room of mirrors and he's trying to wrestle with his own demons and his own thing. And he's wrestling with demons and these other things. Then he realizes the demon that he's wrestling with is himself. He sees his face in the mirror. Sure. It's like, so it's pretty standard trope, right? But this is what every marathon race offers. And I don't understand when people get there, why they don't know that that's what's going on. That's I think what it's fundamental. Yeah. It's, I, in fact, I went about a year or two. Um, the emphasis for me, if you're out there listening and you're anything like me, the emphasis is on training and racing is almost like, you know, almost like, oh, my race is going to be a product of my training. And that's what I thought for a while. And then I had a series of just pretty shitty races. Um, and some, the outcome was good, but I felt bad. Mm. Some, the outcome was bad, but I felt good. <laughs> and it was like, whoa, this is really interesting stuff. And, you know, it culminated into me walking in the Ironman World Championships and then having like kind of a shitty Houston marathon experience because it was so middle there was no intention behind the race and I thought that there was but I lost my intention and it was just like so I said it was the essence was always placed on training but then I realized that racing is a part of the suffering and I think that there maybe and I'm I'm changing up my previous statement that I said about five minutes ago is that you find it in in training but I actually think that you can find racing is is an incredible environment to in a safe space to also learn how to suffer but but one of the things that i failed at was going into the race and accepting that suffering would be a part of the reality of that race it was like everything's just owed to me it's going to be a product of the training and i've suffered through training therefore i'm owed this beautiful experience this is especially true for those people who have very sophisticated training programs and protocols that are dialed in and have been worked hard on by a coach in advance and that you're doing it with a group of other people because you get lulled into the sense that this workout means x i call this your People are basically thinking that they're training to prove their fitness so that on race day, they do not have to deal with suffering. And I'm always like, no, you're training to get fitter, not to prove you're fitter, but to get fitter. When you're in a group environment or you're in a really structured, well-thought-out, well-planned program, frequently those sessions, they're, they're really sexy little sessions that make you start to believe that you're you start getting full of shit because you start thinking that the goal is achievable because the coach broke it down into a couple of different ways and different ways. And if you do it that way, then you're going to be able to handle the work that needs to show up. This is why I always like to put some kind of really 
hard, hard session near the end of the cycle to make sure that the athletes getting checked and that mm-hmm. they meet this demon in they meet themselves in the road and the crossroads and they have to deal with that a little bit so they can get a little bit clearer so when yeah. they show up on race day they're able to do that but i think a lot of people they may use their training sessions and those kinds of things to put themselves in a position because it fuels when when you're an amateur like me that it's owed to us that if we spend five six seven months you know training for something we're doing it because we want to pay off at the end but i think one of the best things that ever happened to me was realizing that there's no payoff at the end there is only learning <laughs> that's it there's that's why you had learning. events where you performed and got done what you needed to get done and you right. weren't satisfied and there can be a payoff but it's a symptom the learning comes before the payoff and the experience becomes before the payoff. And if it's a time goal, that can be the payoff. But it's not. I think that the, the, the moment that we, that we set up for that is the moment that we lose our real relationship with suffering. And we, we cease to have a relationship with it. And we cease to have perspective. Um, and we fall into one of the polarity patterns of either craving or, dis, uh, or aversion. And... And it's super, you know, it's super zen-like to even think like that, but that middle is where performance is. That's where the flow state is. That's where um, possibilities happen, great possibilities. A beautiful race happens somewhere in the middle. You know, it it happens, um, it's just not as linear. And I think that as, as I get a little bit more tenured and, you know, 10, 11, 12 years down the road, my amateur you know endurance you know hobby uh is is that i'm learning that there's some wisdom in that learning process and having that relationship yeah i think that you brought up zen and i think the buddhist middle you know middle way which Mm -hmm. you're articulating uh this idea people when they think about the middle way a lot of times i think they're like i had this idea back in 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 my youth that one of the problems with Zen was because everything was in the middle way. But what about the extremes? Because life's really lived really, I loved the tasty extremes of, of high ecstatic experience. And I love the extreme of deep depressive rainy day, Mm -hmm. purposeless feeling that I liked both all those things. Um, And I think one of the things that happens with the, with the, with a Buddhist path, Zen path, especially is that people don't really realize exactly how hardcore Zen is. It's so fucking hardcore. It's sit in a room all by yourself and what, and go read the pillars of Zen or, and you'll just under like, I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard to understand the polarities and to be in the middle and to keep yourself grounded in that space. The middle way only makes sense when you're living an extreme life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The middle way is just milk toast bullshit kind of the way I think social media wants you to think life is right now. Oh, don't worry. Just go out and show your great self. Show your best self by showing a video of yourself doing whatever you're doing. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's the middle way. But that's like, boring ass it's not shit. that's just luke, <laughs> lukewarm lukewarm milk toast that bullshit. doesn't mean no. that's not what what i think what the relationship is the relationship in the middle is understanding and having and having a, a taste and an acumen for the polarity but knowing that in the middle is where you get the best of the both both worlds because you're going to meet all those demons mm-hmm. on the ecstatic side and on the 
the depressive side, and the Zen path says treat them all the same. They're all the same. They all matter. In fact, you know. in fact, at the end, their whole point is if you meet the Buddha in the road, kill it. Because it's also a delusion. It's just the middle way. Sit in the middle. Sit in the middle, it all works out. And that means, yes, we, by nature as humans, we want to swing the pendulum back and forth and back and forth. But you've got to pick something really challenging and difficult for the middle way to make sense. This is why I, this is why I use a three-pace range in my training model. I ask people to say, okay, let's say I ran a marathon and I want to run a three-hour marathon, okay? But I run a 305 marathon at this point. What I say is, okay, let's do a three-pace range. Let's mm -hmm. do 255, three hours, and 305. Typically, I would like to put 305 in the middle because that's where their current fitness is, but people just cheat anyway, so I just cheat it that way. And I usually think that if a person ran 305, they're probably ready for a three-hour. They just haven't, they're just not sophisticated enough. And if they've been in my program, they're probably fitter than they've performed because mm -hmm. the workouts are solid and good. And then that frequently people get frustrated because the 305 is actually, they were really shooting for three in the first place, yeah. but they got 305. So anyway, I use a three-pace range because to me, the middle path is what I'm doing there is saying, hey, on any given day, you might feel amazing. So go down there on the fast end. Mm -hmm. Go down there to 255 paces. Don't go beyond 255 because you could burn that thing out, right? And then on bad days when you wake up and your cat died and you're not trying, you're trying to figure out why the hell you're even showing up and get coming to practice in the first place, then you've got a cushion to go back to the 305 paces and fall back into the normal, natural things that feel right and good. And then you come out of your running feeling better that day because you showed up and did the work and got it done. And then right there, yes, you've got two extremes, right? But the reason the two extremes exist and function because you're sitting in a middle path kind of model that says, okay, but I'm in the end of the day, I'm not looking at the extremes. I'm looking at the middle as my place to kind of situate and perpetuate where I want to be and if that's sitting at three hours then what happens is the athlete more naturally deals with the varieties of suffering effectively without a ego identity structure tied into the performance this is one of the things that's super challenging we run a marathon if you're running three hours that's 180 minutes 180 times 60 seconds. Okay, that's a big number. I don't know what the number is. I can't do the math that fast. But you're expecting that you're going to nail this race on a one-second pop in an event that's thousands of seconds long, tens of thousands of seconds long. I don't know what the number is. But mm -hmm. like it, it's, it's, it's an unreasonable expectation that you're going to run 259.59. Okay? And you... you, you and if you're going to base it on that razor's edge, wouldn't it be better to say, oh, it might be 258, it might be 302, and just see what the day brings? Your nervousness goes down. Now you're going to have a right relationship to suffering because when you meet that suffering, you're going to be like, what is it today? Today feels like a 258 day. I can go get it. The weather's good. I feel good. Things are rocking and rolling. You know? And if it felt like a 302 day, then you could meet it head on and then address it. But if and you don't find, have the tools and the resources that's where and I the say, communication skills and the relationship to understand that you are, in fact, in a 302 day, then you won't know how to make a 259 day out of a 302 day. <laughs> yeah, worse that's still, that's so Michael, interesting. Worse still, you lose trust in yourself. Because you think that the 302 day is all you, got. you are all and all you got. You got. Yeah. Instead, you could say today is a 302 day. I'm going after something else and it's going to hurt a lot more and I need to be ready for it when it comes. Hence the beautiful race. Yeah. Now a 302 race could be the best performance you ever had. And when you go back to your thinking about your various ultra Ironman experiences, training and racing, you're like, why do some days feel like I it's being got ready. what I wanted? Ready but to I, address the pain. And, and being ready to accept that you're 
ready for the pain. Yeah. Accepting that you're already there's never, ready. There's almost never been a period of time where I've sat and welcomed it in before the race. Like I've almost never done a race where I'm like, this one's going to hurt. I've never approached it like that. And I think that's why, I think this is why Courtney DeWalter is a good archetype for all of us to say yeah. for her to say hey i don't care if it comes 10 percent of the time in the race or the 90 percent point if i don't meet it then i'm kind of wondering what just happened maybe i just have one of those yeah. days but you know my guess is it's not going to play out that way but i do think when we can sit there and say i know that the un i know that the outcome is uncertain and i accept any outcome that might come out as long as i continue to stay aligned with my intention about what I'm trying to get out of this race. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm trying to get out of this, if it is a three hour, that's okay. So I'm not against somebody saying I want to run sub three hours. That's a really big number. And I've worked with many, I probably, I could probably say definitely over a hundred. And I would probably say hundreds of athletes where three hours was the benchmark. Mm -hmm. And they, some got there quick, some got some, some spend a long time there. I think I've talked about the woman I worked with for who for 10 years tried to go sub three at Boston because it went, meant a lot to her and it took her 10 years to do it. And she doesn't race anymore. As soon as she did it, she's like, Burp. she still runs. I see her out in the neighborhood, but that was the goal. And that's okay. As long as that is not the expectation. It's that that's the goal. That's what I'd like to achieve. And I'll keep working at it until I do. And then comes fast, comes slow. It doesn't really matter. What it is really is just a, the vessel for that growth that you were talking about, that essential real element that we're chasing or trying to learn, it, trying to achieve is that learning thing. I, I, you know, I've said this where, what does somebody really want when they get to this finish line? Do they really want the number? No, because as soon as they get to that finish line, they've already shifted their focus to five minutes faster. Mm -hmm. So what they really want is the feeling state that's provided by that finish line. And that feeling state really is most valued when you had to go through the suffering to go get it. And you found yourself willing and ready to align with that suffering as the point of the process. Now, it's not the point of every session, as you said. Not every session is designed to go to the well. We don't all need it's to go not. the Dave Goggins route, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, most of us can't handle the Dave Goggins route. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have enough pain, enough anger. I wouldn't be able to, it, it, I wouldn't even be able it's to. A path, it's an end of one path, and that's yeah. why I was talking with Ryan, the guy who we were having this conversation with. I, I exercise like, what he does in a whole different level. Yeah. Like, it, I think we can, we, can be, we can bring the intensity that he's got I just don't know if that intensity is going to look and feel like David Goggins intensity for everybody. For me, what that kind of looks like is, um, for, for me, it's, if I'm going to take the, the energy that he puts into that intensity, to me, I have to put it into mental clarity. I have to like in, and it takes me a lot of time to figure that out. And I deal with that in ways that are all, all over the, all over the board. Well, you know? we've got a little time, so let's tweak, let's tweeze that a little mm -hmm. bit. I'd like to know, because everything that we've been talking to, talking about right now has been kind of about 
we've been assuming sort of the, the, the end of the, of the spectrum that I started this conversation out mm-hmm. about, where there's our physical experience of suffering that then creates a psychological distress or a mental distress. What you're doing is you're arguing it from a different perspective, saying, no, there's a mental distress, a mental challenge here. So what are a couple of steps you take to kind of confront that? You're going through that process a little bit right now, right, where you're trying to figure out how you set a goal, how you deal with the demons around that that goal or what that sets. So how are you framing this suffering question from a mental perspective me, at this it's point? Pretty, it's pretty simple because the way that I was taught to do it was find basically during sobriety, if anybody kind of goes through the 12 steps or something, you get a sponsor, a lot of the times you'll be told to just, I was told to do the thing that I don't want to do and do that for a year and give me a call every single day. Which was not drink or yeah, not yeah, do yeah. drugs or whatever or the case. <laughs> do the thing that you don't want to do and it will probably work out like 98% of the time. And so what it, that was for me was it. I did not want to work out. I was sedentary for sure, for sure. I was smoking cigarettes and sedentary and writing music. I did not want to work out, so I started working out. I went for a run. Um the thing I didn't want to do was read. That's when I picked up books and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go read some, some things. I'm not a good fucking reader. I'm dyslexic. You know, it's, it's, I'm a terrible reader. It takes me a long time. I hate reading. I'm starting to read again because I don't want to do it. Like it, it's a very, very difficult process for me, but it often is the most rewarding process that I can do. So that's something, do the thing you don't want to do. What else was there? There was eat right there was go to bed at the right time get enough sleep you know don't stay up late every day if you want like a proper morning routine there was sometimes there was stay up late because you're getting obsessed with you know your morning routine like it was it's always trying to break the system for me so the way that I illustrate that and what it looks and feels like is do the thing you don't want to do I didn't like when I don't want to go to the gym I go to the gym you know, it's it's very similar to the David Goggins approach. It's just, it doesn't have to do with that brand of intensity for me. My brand is more psychological. It's his is psychological too. So that's the thing is I find so much similarity. It's unique between fingerprint. It's exactly. Your unique it's my fingerprint. relationship with it, and 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 so. But one question for you. So the reason for that, though is that provides you with personal power, mental power. Is that is that part of what's going on with that? The reason for that is that you always learn something from it and you can make the next right decision, the me- the next best decision. Is that why is that a, is that a motivator for doing it? Yeah. Mhm. For me it's So that's it, part of the mental thing that you're getting from it. I is have that, to learn because I know from experience that I'm not going to learn something if I don't kind of get out over the skis or if I don't kind of lean into what's uncomfortable or risky or personality trait or sharing things that I don't want to share when I need to, when I feel like just not talking or things like that. To me, there's, to me, my, my personal life has to be very solid before my physical life is good. My, if my physical life is not, you know, if my personal life is out of whack, like I might as well just phone it in like you know I'm but if you were in the position where it wasn't the first things you would do was start doing things you didn't want to do which would be learning how to express myself again 
getting in touch with what I'm thinking and feeling, sharing my emotions, learning how to identify those feelings. I have this idea about, about lying and there's like the trophic levels of lying, which is like the, um, at the very kind of like surface area, you have like a white lie, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I didn't come to the workout today because like I got a, I got food poisoning or stomach ache or something. It's like, well, that's just like a white lie. You just, maybe you're just too tired, but those aren't very important to me. The things that are important to me are the things deep down when it's like, I think like I'm telling myself that I'm feeling good when in fact I'm not feeling good. I'm, I'm like failing to identify those emotions. So I do that with my training all the time. What are, I lose the emotions of my training all the time. And when I lose the picture of the full truth of the state I'm in with my relationship with suffering, with my relationship with my performance or where I'm at, um, then everything just goes to shit. So it mine's a little just mine's more in the self-help brand um, mm. of of like the way that I try and lean in to the learning process, but that that wouldn't be atypical of a lot of. 12 step programs or recovery oriented or self people looking to kind of like build their business or feel good about their personality. You know, like it's, it, these are kind of very, they're, they're kind of people out there are going to be like, all right, I, I get what this dude's talking about. You know, some folks are just a little bit more mentally kind of stable and sure footing and stuff like that. I just know that me, I'm not as sure footed as I come across. And, and for me, it's very important to kind of identify that and share that. Yeah, it's cool. I, uh, I'm on a a journey recently. I've been, I've been running, bringing my running back. Yeah. It seems Um, like it. And I'm not, uh, and I've got some residual issues from ignored, significant injuries right so mm-hmm. you've got compensatory stuff my hips bogging me and it doesn't stop me from doing it but it always stops me from thinking i should it tells me oh my hips been bugging me i probably should take that's an interesting off. one that's to the trophic level of lying is kind of like that to me is a very deep seated when you think that everything's okay and you think that you don't need to recover or you think that something's not wrong then what's the thing that you don't want to do maybe it's forking up the cash to go seeing somebody or taking a look at like maybe it's an aqua jog which is probably going to be a little weird or something like maybe it's getting in the pool maybe it's something else like those are typically the things that I try I look for things like that where I'm like what's the thing I don't want to do and I'm like let's go do that you know what I do I just run yeah (laughs) you just fucking go for it I just run through it and when it hurts I talk to it because it's telling you not to, so you're like, it's right, not telling not me that. not to. It's telling me that I, I don't think it's ever telling you not to. And this is, I have a unique relationship with pain. Um, mine, as you and I have talked about in the past, I, I'm, I'm a little more tantric in my approach, which is the the poison is 
your, your cure yeah. is in the poison. That's kind of the way I look at it. And so what I do is I go through it and then I just communicate with the hip and talk with it and try to see, and it almost always calms back down. And yeah, I do need to do those other things. Right. But I'm only running like, I'm currently just starting out. So it's just 30 minutes. Yeah, for so sure. it's not like I'm trying to get a two hour run in and I, if I don't go see the doctor that or the PT, that I'll have a big problem. I'm not at that level yet. I do need to address all those things that you just stated, but I, I'm well, currently in that space where I'm like, I can go through it. And so therefore I should go through it to try to take on board what it's trying to tell me. But then that means I can't be listening to a podcast. I can't be listening to music. I can't, I got to run sometimes on the trail and sometimes on the road. I've, I've got to change my relationship to myself I have to change my relationship to running. I have to change my relationship to the pain. I have to change my relationship to all the things. Um, and I have to change my relationship with my wife because now I've got to negotiate where I'm going to run, when I'm going to run. You know, there's all these other pieces. I think that many, many people who are training on a consistent level, they're not aware of these kinds of negotiations because they've already got their life locked and loaded in those areas. And so I appreciate this would probably not be incredibly valuable to some people listening, but I will say this, it's that you need to reframe whatever your current space is with what those lessons are there for you to get. How do you stop lying? Mm -hmm. How do you stop being full of shit? You meet your suffering in the road and you, you make a deal with the devil. And, you know, in my argument, your soul, if you've chosen this sport and you're going to be serious about it, you've already sold your soul. Mm -hmm. It's not yours anymore. You know that, yeah. Mm -hmm. You've I accepted lot, this. Like you've accepted this as the way that you're going to go. And if you don't, you're going to do what Steve Prefontaine, I'm wearing my Steve Prefontaine shirt today. He says, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. So if you're there and you're not going through it, then you're sacrificing the gift that it's supposed to be giving. So why we're there. It's to make us be, a, to going through suffering makes you feel alive. And if you go through it, you always come out with that learning tidbit, that thing you needed. It's always there. It, the pain the poison is the cure. Now, that this is problematic for it's the like David. Running is almost like microdosing suffering, so that we can get the <laughs> both the and you microdose <laughs> the suffering, so that you can handle that. You have the skill yeah. set to deal with the heroic dose that comes later. Yeah, because the heroic dose is coming later. But this is why sure. it, it, instead of saying, "Oh, I'm going to prove that this is the but the heroic state, dose is kind of the desire and if you're you can't attach to the hero dose because that's just it, it's too much well, it's gonna it's, it's gonna, gonna roll it's you too over. much it's, it's gonna, gonna roll you up yeah. and but we microdose along the way to ground ourselves and ground ourselves and keep and keep going for it i mean that's that to me is the purpose that running serves in my life i for sure for sure i mean like i said i started running because i didn't want to it was literally there to microdose a simulation world where I knew that if I could practice this during the activity, then I wouldn't be throwing tongs during the lunch rush at the hot dog restaurant for sure. Like I was like, I need to get my anger in check. I'm going to try running, you know, and that to me, that's, that was kind of what it's for. So, but the momentum 
is, but one thing about the microdosing, I just want to touch mm-hmm. base with this with the microdosing. Don't get lost like our uh, all of our friends in Silicon Valley are now, where they're all microdosing all this stuff and thinking that's real reality. Real reality is the heroic dose. Mm-hmm. So, in the in our in our analogy, marathoning is the the race day is the you're big thing. You're not going to get away from You're not going to get yeah, away from it's it. coming. And you can use the micro dose, but you should be varying your dosage to be, be prepared for the big heroic dose that's coming later. Not to die. I think this is what's going on is people are like, they're micro dosing to sort of avoid and think that they're going to be ready for it. Then when they hit the heroic dose and they fall to pieces, they're like, I don't know what happened. What happened was you didn't have a proper relationship between yourself and your suffering. Right. That you hadn't sold your soul and you didn't know what it cost. And then they, they came, the devil came to get your soul and you just yeah. peed down the side of your leg, turned around and went the other way. You know what I mean? You just don't, you don't do it. You, you, you back out and you, and the devil wins then. Cause it's like, ha, 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 you just atrophied your personal power. Mm-hmm. You just, you just, you just have less self trust. And this is, this is what I feel frequently my job is somebody said, to me just the other day, I've said this before, but somebody said to me the other day, you're, you're really like a psychologist. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a psychologist. I'm a pastor. Like a pastor helps you deal with suffering. Like it, it, this is the path we've chosen running as our path. I'm not here to save you from anything. I'm here to show you that the revelator, man, you go, that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, if it, if I was a psychotherapist, I would be fixing something. Exactly, but not you're not. Fixing. You're almost like you're exercising the the demons. I'm that saying, come up. like, bring get, them up, get do the thing. into right relation, yeah. or find the middle way. Yeah, find the middle way because that that ten hour that 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 vipassana retreat that you're going to go on, mm-hmm. or that you know, in the Zen model, or the the, that the shit dark is retreat, not easy. the dark retreat. Well, you want to go in the middle, you'll be. It's, you got it's extreme, yeah. so you can reset your middle to something that can handle yeah. something else, right? Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. That's so cool. That's what. That's that's exactly what I've been thinking about in the past few. And weeks. It, I think what, what what a takeaway for our listeners is to just realize that the the one of the key things is to try to find your right relationship with suffering because you have something wrong with you already and you already value it because for some reason you wake up in the morning at a really oh dark 30 or create a healthy just create a healthy safe space for that relationship to exist but to have a healthy safe space it needs to go through the ringer every once in a while to be able to it's got to take that outside edge or in training um and in life which means you need off days on the far end you need hard really challenging big days, you know, see God workouts and occasionally mm-hmm. so that you're ready for that fine. So you can hold that middle way. So you can be prepared and have a right relationship to the suffering that's coming on race day because it's going to be next level. It's supposed to be next level or else you would not have valued it. Mm-hmm. And I, I worry for those people who get to that space, then fail and they don't recognize they don't have a reason for why they failed. So then they have to make an excuse and then they start going down a, a, a personal power atrophy road. They, they don't trust themselves. And um, that just is the saddest thing. Now, it's also my favorite part of the job mm-hmm. because luckily I've done this enough that I know how to give sessions and workouts to help people 
regain that trust. Sure. Um, but that's why I'm so adamant about, okay, let's pick a three pace range that so we have a middle way. So we're not in a place where we're going to continuously get back into that ice. I'm, I'm, I'm good or bad based on my performance on race day. Yeah. You should be like, no, I had a good or a bad race. Shouldn't really have anything to do with your selfhood, <laughs> your personhood. Mm -hmm. That's not an appropriate relationship with suffering. Um, because we will all have a point where we knuckle down. Even David Goggins will be beaten by something. <laughs> I think so. I think so. But he might disagree. But I'm sure if he if he listens to this and he's interested, we can do something about that. I probably can structure something that I think might not <laughs> destroy him physically, but would <laughs> place him in a very challenging place. Oh, so. what a what an what an exceptional situation <laughs> so i'm calling you out david goggins <laughs> let's go that was fun steve yeah i thanks. needed that one that was very therapeutic and i hope it added some value to people out there who are frankly a lot like myself and think a lot like i do because i need to be checked often about we all this do. subject yeah we all do all right y'all godspeed